Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. Welcome to the Afternoon Show. I'm Bill Arnold. Oh, I've got a great show for you today. Rob Bluey is going to join me in just a minute from The Daily Signal. We're also going to talk to Carl Clausen. He's written a book called The Seven Resolutions, Where Self-Help Ends and God's Power Begins. And in hour two, Dr. Andy Scudinger, who is a psychology professor, is going to join me, and we're going to talk about a whole smorgasbord of things, which I'm looking forward to the whole show, so thank you for spending as much time as you can with me. Rob Bluey is the executive editor at The Daily Signal. I always encourage you to go to dailysignal.com to check it out. Rob's a faithful guest every Tuesday telling me what's going on in our nation's capital and what stories we should be paying attention to. Rob, welcome. Thanks, Bill. It's uh, great to be back and appreciate that introduction. Very kind of you. Uh, thanks. Well, let me just back up a little bit from last week because I know you had to pull out of the interview at last minute and you replaced uh, yourself with John Cooper, who's an absolute delight. But I have to admit that there is some things that are slipping through the cracks with me as I have withdrawn myself from news consumption. So I am uh, not as sharp to detail as I should be and I've had some listeners point out some things that I want to at least apologize for my mistake and say I, I, I can't uh, keep track of everything. Uh, and I apologize for having some things slip through the cracks. Here are some of the things we talked about. I'll just keep this really brief, Rob. I'd love for you to respond. Um, when we were talking about uh, the uh, classified documents that I think all presidents have had access to and have had them in their possession at one time or another. Uh, the facts that I was brought to my attention were the Biden lawyers brought uh, documents to the attention of the Department of Justice. The Biden lawyers surrendered voluntarily, so FBI didn't have to force their way into their home or office. And the Trump lawyers denied having any documents. And Trump lawyers ignored the DOJ subpoenas, which prompted the FBI to execute the search warrant. And the DOJ still believes there are more document at Trump's estate and didn't just didn't search his office. So anyway, that's what uh, I was informed. What got through the cracks? So there it is. Well, thank you. Uh, and and that story is back in the news today because here we are again, and uh, another uh, former elected official, Vice President Mike Pence, is in the news because they found some classified documents at his home in Indiana. So it's. Uh, <laughs> It's going to be another whole news cycle, Bill. And, uh, you know, now we, I guess, have to go back and check George W. Bush and Barack Obama and Dick Cheney and, you know, go down the, the list and uh, and see what we come up with. Clearly, this is a, a situation where, regardless of political party, uh, mistakes happen. And, uh, you know, um, I think that there probably are steps that individuals, uh, these these not only elected officials, but their staff as they're packing up their belongings after their time in office, perhaps need to uh, take a better accounting of, of the paperwork. It is very much an honor system, as I understand it, from talking to people who've been involved in the process before. Uh, the National Archives expects the 
president and vice president to turn over the documents. They obviously don't have a seat in the room uh, at the White House. So, I mean, that's what I mean by the honor system. And when those documents are transferred to the National Archives, they obviously create a a, um, catalog of them. And unless there is you know, something pretty obvious that's missing, uh, say a letter from the North Korean leader uh, to the president of the United States, uh, they might not otherwise know that it even exists. And that mm-hmm. seems to be the case of what happened in uh, in both uh, uh, Joe Biden and Mike Pence's case. Um, so I don't think anything was uh, done intentionally. I think it was probably carelessness and, and sloppy handling on, on their part. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about the March for Life in Washington last week. Uh, Talk about what happened there. Sure. Well, this was the first March for Life that took place after the big decision at the Supreme Court last June, the Dobbs decision, which overturned Roe v. Wade. The March for Life sprung to life, if you will, um, after after the Roe v. Wade decision 50 years ago. And it was uh, the, the march that sought to bring people to Washington, D.C., to march from an area near the White House uh, down uh, the National Mall uh, to the steps of the Supreme Court. And for the first time in the march's history, they marched to the steps of the U.S. Capitol instead. Obviously, the action is no longer needed at the Supreme Court. It's uh, in the legislative bodies, uh, not only here in Washington, D.C., where there are, are federal uh, proposals on, on the life issue, but also in state capitals all across the country. So the March for Life has expanded uh, to do rallies in state capitals as well. Uh, we saw a robust turnout. Uh, we saw some new faces, uh, former Indianapolis Col- Col- Colts and Pittsburgh Steelers uh, football player uh, Tony Dungy made some headlines for, for his role speaking at the march. It was great to see him there and always nice to see somebody who is a celebrity uh, lend their name um, to an important cause like this. Mm-hmm. And Vice President uh, Harris was in Florida for a big uh, abortion speech. What did she leave out of her comments about the Declaration of Independence? Well, she she left out the right to life, <laughs> which which seems like if you're going to be talking about this issue, it would be something that you would uh, would be sure to include. But I think it was conveniently left out uh, for reasons that we we all know uh, are true, and that. that because it's um, inconvenient for for those on the left and those who support abortion uh, to mention those words. Uh, This was the weekend that that the left and the pro-abortion groups celebrated the Roe v. Wade decision, a lot of news coming out of the White House in that regard. And so it wasn't necessarily surprising to see the vice president do a political event uh, surrounding that, and I'm sure she picked Florida for strategic reasons, (laughs) albeit the governor of that state is very much likely... uh, uh, to, to run for, for president. And another occupant of that state, uh, Donald Trump, is, uh, has obviously uh, made his position quite well known on, on the life issue. And so this is, uh, this is not an issue that is going away anytime soon. It animated a lot of voters in the last November election. There are state legislatures that are convening right now and considering legislation on uh, the life issue. And so, Bill, I suspect it's something you and I will be talking about in the weeks to come for sure. Yeah, for sure. Rob Bluey is my guest. He's the executive editor at the Daily Signal. I always encourage you to go to dailysignal.com. Now, Rob, this is kind of a disturbing statistic uh, that I read only 3% of public high school students could pass a U.S. citizenship test. So my question is, what is going on in schools today? 
Yeah, well, well, number one, I think I'm going to give my kids this test tonight. <laughs> See how they do. Maybe they can be uh, uh, in uh, in the, the the group that uh, that that elite group apparently that they can pass the test. But what we shall see. I took the test myself uh, a couple of years ago, and I encourage your listeners to do. I mean, all you have to do is, is go type it into a search engine, and you can you can easily find and, and other some outlets uh, you know post uh, post the test for for you to take and test your own knowledge. I think what it means though about our education system in schools is there's certainly not enough focus on on civics and government, and that is disappointing. I, I don't know um, how to necessarily overcome that. I don't know whether the teachers are simply focusing on the wrong lessons about the United States or if students today are, are, are bored and, and, and disinterested. Maybe there are new and creative ways <laughs> using social media platforms or elsewhere that we can, we can educate them. But uh, it's, it's critically important because I think what happens then is when you and I have conversations like this about policy debates in Washington, D.C., whether it be about the big debt limit fight that's, that's coming up or, um, you know, about uh, things just as basic as how the House of Representatives selects a speaker. Uh, we need the American people to be informed and, and intelligent. We need that for many reasons, not the least of which is, I think, if you started this conversation, so many more Americans are tuning out of the news because they feel like they either can't trust it or it's so uh, driven by, by bad news and the shock and awe and everything that goes into uh, the news business today uh, that individuals need to to be informed, and if they're they're not, um, then that's obviously going to lead to the next generation, the generation that follows, uh, being less educated about how our government works, uh, the steps that they, as individual citizens, can take um, to as uh, you know to to, to to change the laws and 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 have a, a powerful role not only here in Washington D.C. but in their local communities back home. Mm-hmm. So, Rob, when we hear a story, what kind of criteria should we apply to it? I mean, I've got a, a couple of thoughts, but I'd love to hear what your re- your response is. Well, first of all, I would say it's important to rely on more than one source for for mm-hmm. news and information, and and that is especially true as I see more and more uh, people are getting their news from social media platforms, and I, I don't know whether they're getting their news from friends and neighbors or they're getting it from media outlets or or how exactly um, they would they would count that. But uh, as a as a reporter and as somebody who is required on a daily basis to make sure that I have multiple sources before I can report anything. I think that individuals need to do the same, have the same type of standard, and make sure that you are are looking not only at a partisan or ideological news outlet, mm-hmm. uh, as the Daily Signal is. We make no <laughs> no apologies for our conservative beliefs, and uh, we clearly label news articles as news articles and commentary as commentary. So anybody coming to our site. Hopefully we'll, we'll understand the distinction, but uh, but look at look at you know information across the political spectrum so you can better understand. Going back to the, the the first topic that you raised on the classified documents, I think it's important to seek out multiple sources of information. Frankly, I've been disappointed that the news media has not devoted nearly as much coverage to the Biden documents as uh, they did the Trump documents. And so there are times when you are required to go out and find other sources of information. As it pertains to when you're reading a specific story, I think just, you know, having your, your uh, you know, mental detector on for things mm-hmm. that look like overt bias, um, that, you know, that should raise a red flag in, in your mind. And maybe it tells you about uh, the, the quality of the reporting or lack thereof. 
Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. I always wonder uh, what a person's source is and do they have a bias and is there an agenda? Um, so, of course, you're, you want to have as, uh, as uh, good of reporting as possible and fair as possible when it comes to reporting. So uh, if anybody has a question for Rob Blue, you can send it over on the text line 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. And we'll be right back with lots more. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting myfaithradio.com. Thanks for joining me today. Rob Louie is my guest. He's the executive editor at The Daily Signal. You can go to dailysignal.com and find out more about the amazing work they do there. So, Rob, I was scrambling for my notes. I finally found them during the break. So maybe some questions to ask when you're trying to verify any kind of information is, you know, who who said it? How do they know? And are are they, what is their bias? And then the question I ask myself is, what don't I know? Uh, and what I don't know could fill a warehouse, so that's the problem. <laughs> well, well, Bill, thank you. Th- th- those are all all great tips. I mean, I, I I'd say that the the one thing that I was taught, and this is intro to journalism, journalism one hundred and one. You know, your your basics. You should always have at least three sources quoted in your story. I mean, that was the standard, <laughs> and and unfortunately, it seems like we've moved away from that given the the speed and urgency of journalism today. But three sources were always the minimum, and you should help, probably have a lot more than that. But you know, even, let's take your basic story. You know, just about I don't know, a, you know, a, a, a city council meeting or something. You would at least want to quote three different people in the story as you explain what the issue is. Yeah. And I would say that that those are the types of things to look for. If a story is including quotes from other individuals. Uh, as sources, that probably tells you that the reporter did their homework. If the story is just the reporter's opinion or analysis on a particular thing, well, then I would say, you know, that's, that's, you know, I'd venture to say that that's biased. The New York Times has a way of doing this, which I, I'm quite critical of and have been for a long time. They'll put stories on its front page, this is the New York Times, that, and they'll label them news analysis. They're really just commentaries by the reporters on a particular topic. And they should just put opinion in, in front of that instead of news analysis, which is just a clever way of their saying that this isn't a straightforward news story. It's what the reporter's opinion is. And so be on the lookout for things like that as well uh, to distinguish whether or not it's you know, a, a straightforward news report or if it's somebody's opinion. Yeah, because when I think of facts, I remember like when you were a kid and you fell and you'd skin your knee really bad and you're maybe bleeding a little bit and you're, you're in pain and your dad says, ah, come on, you're not hurt. So... I mean, he was kind of interpreting the facts, but he was also wrong because you were hurt. So, you know, you always have to take into consideration that uh, someone may understand facts, but they're also going to interpret it the way they want to. Yes. Yeah, that, that is an excellent point. Uh, there are um, certainly multiple different ways. And this, this is where I think social media has not helped the situation because there are so many 
different opinions out there that somebody feels overwhelmed by the amount of news that they can consume in, in a day. Now, I, I would not also go back to the old system of where we just had, you know, three TV anchors who basically were able to dictate the, the news on their terms, which I think, you know, they, as, as we have come to learn, were, were biased in their own ways. But uh, there has to be a, a, a balance. And I think particularly for parents out there who are teaching their kids, you know, it's important, uh, again, to look for multiple sources to help them understand, uh, you know, what are the characteristics that they should look for. Uh, there are many different ways to verify things that are, that are true or not. You know, I'm, I'm a critic of fact-checking sites, but, you know, sometimes even just a simple Internet search will tell you if, you know, <laughs> your, your, your uncle or aunt's, uh, you know, email forward is something that's truthful information or something that maybe has been debunked. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I just think we, if we each take those steps, we each take a, one action every day, um, we'll ultimately end up being a more informed society as a result. So, Rob, uh, a question came in from a listener. What is Rob's opinion about no one being named for the Supreme Court leak? Well, it's disappointing. And we have been strong advocates for the Supreme Court to, to figure this out. I uh, take them at their word that they haven't been able to figure it out. I'm also... Some somewhat suspect, uh, maybe that you know they they really don't want to to name this person, and they would prefer that, that we just forget about this story and and not continue to press for answers. Uh, it's um, a very small group of individuals who would have had access to that opinion. As we know, they are kept highly secret, and the fact that this uh, Dobbs decision, when it leaked, was highly anticipated and we knew that it was done likely to try to influence one of the justices to perhaps change his or her mind on the opinion. Uh, so I, I'm a firm believer that, uh, that they should continue this investigation until they find out who did it. Uh, there's some suspicion that it could be one of the justices themselves who, who may have leaked it. So uh, we, we need to get to the bottom of this. And uh, I, I certainly hope Chief Justice Roberts and, and the Marshal of the Supreme Court uh, keep the focus on, on this because we don't want it to happen again. And that is the important thing. If this becomes a precedent, this would do significant damage to the Supreme Court in the long term. Mm-hmm. Rob, getting back to a comment you just made a couple minutes ago about making sure you get your news from you know more than one source. I had a listener just say, um, does Rob mean I have to get my news uh, more than just from the Daily Signal? It was my one-stop shop. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've said for years, like I, when we created the Daily Signal, I hope it is the first, the first uh, source of information that you turn to every day. But I don't think that the Daily Signal, you know, can be your only source. Number, for a couple of reasons, Bill. Number one, we don't cover local news. There are so many important things that happen in your own backyard, in your community that you need to know about. So, you know, there needs to be you need to supplement a national source of news like the Daily Signal with with a local source. Um, Secondly, there's no way with our small team that we can possibly cover every story uh, that exists. I mean, we we have our, our eyes set on what's happening on Capitol Hill in Washington. You and I talk about that a lot. We've increasingly expanded into the state. Uh, by the way, good news coming out of Iowa today for families. Uh, just a little side tangent, uh, the governor signed a law there today, which brings education savings accounts to that state. Families that opt out of public school can now access $7,600 to send their kids to, to private Christian uh, Catholic schools. Um, so, you know, that is uh, that is an encouraging development. And that's the type of story that we would cover because we have a big focus on on school choice and education freedom. But uh, but, yeah, there's no way that we can possibly cover everything. So I think appreciate the listeners uh, uh, 
a vote of confidence. Yes, uh, but I do for, too. For those reasons, yeah, you you need to uh, probably uh, supplement it with something else. Of course, Rob Louie is my guest, and he is the executive editor at the Daily Signal. So, Rob, uh, just in the couple minutes we have remaining, about four, maybe you would share uh, what are some of the top stories that people like me and others should be paying attention to today. Well, yes, uh, I'll just pick up where I left off. Uh, This is school choice week, so you see a lot of activity in states about about laws like the education savings accounts and, and other means that Lawmakers are trying to give parents uh, access to this information. Of course, during COVID, a lot of parents expressed their frustration about the quality of public schools in this country, and they you know, expressed a desire to perhaps explore other options. We saw a lot of families move to homeschooling, uh, for instance. We saw other families uh, turn to private schools. And so that's why I think you're seeing states like Utah, Iowa, uh, even Texas, which ranks pretty low on the list of school choice, uh, 35th in the country in terms of their school choice laws, uh, deciding to take this up as, as a big uh, option. And, and even Senator Cruz today in the U.S. Senate has introduced a military uh, families uh, plan that uh, those in the, in, the, in the U.S. military would be able to access uh, these savings accounts as well. Uh, I'd say the big story that we're going to be talking about for the next six months or so, Bill, is on spending. You and I uh, have talked about this issue in the past. Yes, our, our disappointment with both political parties, uh, this is an area where there has been bipartisan problems in not getting our fiscal house in order. Uh, the, the White House announced last week that we have hit the debt limit. So we have hit that amount of money that the government is able to borrow and we, they can't go into any further debt. Now, they do have extraordinary measures that they can use probably for the next six months or so to, to you know, address this so we don't default or anything like that. But uh, it's important uh, for us to have this conversation. And with divided government back in Washington, D.C., Republicans in control of the House and Democrats in the Senate and the White House, we're going to have a real debate about the debt limit. And the Republicans are putting forward ideas for ways that uh, they would like to address this issue. That includes spending cuts. Uh, important note, though, Bill, uh, they are not putting uh, Social Security and Medicare on the table. They say that those should not be part of the conversation. They want to look to other areas. Uh, that's been a you know, point of contention in the past uh, between the two parties. And they also uh, are saying we need to look at regulations. Regulations cost our businesses in this country an enormous amount of money, not just businesses, but individuals as well. And so I think that, uh, you know, as a starting point, we have a lot, a long way to go. Uh, President Biden and Speaker McCarthy have promised to meet and start talking about this. So I expect that, uh, you know, it'll come to a head sometime this summer. But, uh, you know, let's uh, let's have this debate. I like it. Rob, as always, I look forward to hearing your perspective and appreciate all the work you do and your colleagues do at The Daily Signal. And I always uh, enjoy hearing your cheery voice on Tuesdays. So thank you very much. Thanks, Bill. And uh, always appreciate your listeners' questions and your interview. Have a great day. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Rob Bluey has been my guest. He is the executive editor at The Daily Signal. You should check it out, dailysignal.com. We'll come back. Carl Clausen is going to join me. He's written a book called The Seven resolutions where self-help ends and God's power begins. So the need for the church to make disciples who are rejecting passivity is now. We'll be right back with Carl Clausen. Just a minute.
Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Well, it seems like most of us talk about making changes in our lives, uh, but it seems like few of us are ever able to pull it off. And I wonder why is that? My guest is Carl Clausen. He is uh, an author. He's also the morning host of Carl and Crew Mornings on Moody Radio and the lead pastor of 180 Chicago. But he's written a book called The Seven Resolutions, Where Self-Help Ends and God's Power Begins. I love the title and I love the material and I love my guests. Carl, welcome. It's good to be with you. Thank you so much. Yeah, so very interesting topic and very timely this time of year as well when people are trying to make big changes in their lives, but it doesn't seem like a lot of people are able to pull it off. Why is that? Yeah, the stats don't lie. You got that right. At, at this time, let's see, we're 24 days into 2023. Yeah. Ready for this? Yep. 85% of the resolutions have been broken already. Yeah, and that was by day three. <laughs> they say two weeks, actually. Yeah. So we're, okay. probably, we're probably at 87 88%. Listen, and that's nothing to gloat over. The fact is a lot, a lot of great people, um, a lot of great people want to see change. But the fact is, resolutions, the way we do them, especially in this is Christians as well, well-meaning disciples of Jesus, blow it. And, and you know, I got to tell you, I've been a life hacker and a goal setter my whole life, and I had the Lord take me to school on this thing. And the net net of this, and then we can break it down, is we have tried to do in our own strength what God never intended us to do. We get saved by his grace and power, and then we think we get sanctified. Fancy word for growing up in Jesus. We think we get sanctified in our own strength. That is the problem. This self-led life, this self-help, this uh, willpower Christianity is no gospel at all. That's the straight-up truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, wise words, Carl Clausen, but I just have to say that we're Americans that know how to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and let's be motivated and let's uh, set goals and have purpose and then go go get it done. That's yeah. what we know how to do. Yeah, I, you're right. But the, and, but the problem is when it comes to the deep spiritual things, I don't think it'll work any more for us than it did for the Galatian church and the Apostle <laughs> Paul. All right. The Apostle Paul said to Galatia in chapter 3, a little rough modification here, but this is the essence of this first three verses. He says, "Who, oh, Galatians, who has bewitched you? You don't want to have yes. someone write you a letter like that. That that you began in the Spirit, verse 3, that that you began in the Spirit, why are you working out in the flesh? Therein lies the problem. We begin in the power of the Spirit, and I believe this has been a problem for thousands of years, but it's exacerbated now because we've got the American dream, and the American dream's great. I love the American dream. It's fantastic. But when it comes to the deeper things of the spiritual life and disciples taking hold of God's calling and his fruit in our life, they're incompatible. The American dream is incompatible with God's vision for our life. So we can... And if you try to layer over the economy of the American dream into God's economy, we get screwed up every time. Mm, so true. 
Carl, so what does it take to be uh, successful? So we want to change, and how do we do that, and how, and how do we know we're on the right track? Broken, humble, on our faces before the Lord. And, and I really mean this. I, you know, here's what's sweet. I always used to be the young guy in the room. You did too. You know, you were always the young guy everywhere you went. Now I'm 62, not the young guy anymore. I was a young guy at Pastor Luther. He's the pastor of Moody Church here for years. He asked me to host a birthday party for him here about a year ago. And so I hosted it, and I, and I went to his birthday party. I said, Pastor Lutzer, I'll host him anytime you want. Cause, man, I feel young tonight. So that's the only, <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. the only time I felt young. But here's, here's the deal. Um, the, the essence of faith begins, Andrew Murray nails it in his book, Humility. He says, humility is the one virtue that gives birth to every other virtue. And for years, um, as a young pastor and as a young follower of Jesus, I think I was looking at all the, you know, oh, this spiritual discipline and that spiritual discipline. They're all great, and we need to have spiritual disciplines. But if you have spiritual disciplines without a heart of humility, you've got flesh, you've got self-effort, you've got labor, sweat equity without the power of God. And so I, I think humility is what postures us to have an agreement with God that we're going to tap in and roll in his power through 2023. Mm-hmm. Carl, I'm only six minutes into this interview and I already want to buy your book. So don't blow it. Okay. <laughs> I won't. I won't okay. blow it. I promise you. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about self-help. Is it a, is it a threat to God's children? I know. Absolutely. I Say believe. More. Yeah. I believe it's a threat to God's children Because, okay, what I just cited in Galatians is right on, but the preponderance of evidence that we find in the scriptures is that every time, I just got back from Israel, and every time, if you go to the conquests of Joshua and look at the promised land and all those archaeological digs, here's here's the issue. Joshua was called to what? He said, man. Don't move to the left or the right. You stay here. You be strong and courageous. You meditate on this law day and night, and you will make it. Put your toe in the Jordan. Let's go. Every time the nation of Israel got self-reliant, sin was crouching at the door, and boom, that king or those judges or the, that town or those, that tribe, they went down. Every time, and my favorite king is King Josiah, every time God's people humbled themselves, tore their robes in repentance, blew snot out of both nostrils over their brokenness (laughs) before the Word of God, Mm -hmm. every time, they they were blessed. The, The common thread in Scripture is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said it in the Sermon on the Mount. Those are his first words. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Blessed are you when you realize you are in spiritual poverty. Whoa. I mean, come on. Are you kidding me? No. That every every person I've ever known that is mindful of their spiritual poverty apart from the grace of God are the richest people on this planet, bar none. Couldn't agree more. Carl Clausen is my guest. He's written a book called The Seven Resolutions Where Self-Help Ends and God's Power begins. Uh, Carl, you wrote 
in the book that you reached a point where what was dysfunctional felt normal to you. What's up with that? Yep. Yeah, it's it's true. You know, I think we we have a mentality where it's like, okay, God save me. And now I need to get out and we almost have a mindset. I I need to prove to God that I'm I was worthy of being called out of darkness. The amazing thing is, uh, let me tell you a quick story. So I ran the Iditarod Trail Race. It's an 1,100-mile dog sled race across Alaska when I was 18 years old. So that's forever ago. What is that, 43 years ago? So I ran this dog sled race across Alaska, 1,100 miles. took me 21 days, 8 hours, 12 minutes, and 32 seconds. Now, here's what's funny. I had one dog in my team. Let me tell you her story. My dad, when he gave me permission to start getting a dog team, I was like 14 years old. Couldn't believe it. Dad's let me get a dog team. If he'd known it was growing to a kennel of 50, he probably wouldn't have done it. <laughs> but he, mm-hmm. he, let me get this, he let me get this one dog. I go down to the dog pound. I call it death row because they're all about to you know, get yeah, euthanized. So I see this one girl. She had a great build. She was malnourished and skittish. But I... She came up to the grate and licked me like, take me home. And so I did. You know, I put a tar- I, I put a harness on her. I named her Target. I don't know why I named her Target to this day, but 14-year-olds do crazy things. So I named her Target, put a harness on her, and began to teach her that she was designed to run. After I was working with her, I got her into a bigger team. That bigger team, I started training her. And pretty quick, I'm like, my goodness, this, this first dog that I got out of a dog pound might be able to make it into my Iditarod team. Well, sure enough, she did. Now, she got about halfway through the race, and she was starting to get slack on the tug line and starting to lose a little oomph. And I stopped in the village of McGrath, and I, I got down on my knees, and I said, Target, this is it for your race. But you've run so well, girl. Mm-hmm. And I unclipped her from that team, flew her back home. When I got to Nome, Alaska, about Two weeks later, um, I flew back after the banquet was done in Nome, Alaska, saw her in my kennel. And uh, when I came walking up to her, she was just almost mauling me. She was so excited <laughs> to be reunited. But, uh-huh. but here's, here's the point. I saved her. I, I saved her life. I saved her life. She was going to die. I saved her. But then I trained her to be what God wanted her to be. She was mm-hmm. born to run. Yeah. We, in the church, let God save us, and then we're out of harness, or we're off the leash, or we're thinking we got to do it our way. No, no, the same God who saved us wants to train us. That's Titus 2, 11 and 12. Amen. That is the gospel. That is such a cool story, Carl. That is beautiful, and I love Target. So thank you for sharing (laughs) that story. Oh, gosh, yes. All right, I have a question that came in from a listener, uh, Carl. P- uh, please explain own strength. When we have commands to obey, it's our action that obeys, no? How is the opposite is our- of our own strength, not passivity? Yeah, no, no, that's a great question. So grace isn't against effort. It's against earning. I stole that from Dallas Willard, and it is so true. I'm going to say it again. Grace, God's power... If you're going to a seminary, grace means unmerited favor. Well, big deal. We're not here to pass a test. We're here to run the race of life. So if you want to know what grace means, it means God's power to do in us what we can't do in ourselves. So 
grace, God's grace, is not against effort. It's against earning. And here's the problem. When our effort is to prove ourselves to God, we've missed it. We're struggling in the flesh. Make no provision for the flesh. So here's the difference. The difference is, I'd put the spiritual equation this way. I would say utter dependence on God, followed by diligence as we abide in him, equals a fruit-bearing life or taking hold of all that God has. And I'll prove it to you. Um, do we have time for me to go to John 15 right now? Or you oh, want to hold or how we No, do? no, let's okay. go. All right. All right, John 15, let's go there. Uh, I love this. Jesus is on the way to the cross when a guy's about ready to die and he's a wise guy. This one was the savior of the world. Listen. So he's walking to the cross, grabs a handful of grape leaves, picks them up and says, boys, I want your life to look like this right here. And those grapes must have been just peak season. And then he tells this, and let me do a modification here, verse 4, 5, and then verse 7. He says, I am the vine. You are the branch. You abide in me. You will bear much fruit. He goes on to say, it is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. How, how awesome is that? Yeah, amazing. I mean, a lot, a lot of us think, oh, we should apologize if we want to be real fruit bearer. No way. It's to God's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. But he also adds this, apart from me, you can do nothing. nothing. Nada. Not one Zilch. chicken thing. Zilch. Nope. There's no gray zone. So what's he saying? He's saying, listen, I have the juice it's called spiritual fruit. It's not, it's not your fruit. It's not my fruit. It's spiritual fruit. It's God's power. But what we've done in American church, and I really mean this, this is a Western problem, due in large part to the fact that we are the great experiment. We're the first real population center of Christ followers that hasn't had routine persecution. We are. The rest of our brothers and sisters around the world pay the price for following Jesus like we've never known. <laughs> so that, that's, a, that's a built-in, oh, yeah, there's no, no, no way around it. We think, we live like Christianity was born here and everybody ought to have it like us, but Jesus promised otherwise. Mm-hmm. So the fact is our brothers and sisters around the globe have a default dependence on God. We have to go to the Word and get our nose in it and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. So you know what we do? Yeah, I mean, a branch has two options. Either look left and hold on to Jesus or you look right and you and you look at, oh man, I need to be more loving. I need to be more I need more joy. I need self control. The person out there struggling with an addiction of mm-hmm. any kind mm-hmm. and they think I've got to get off porn. I've got to get off gossip. I've got to get off food. I've got to No, no, no. You don't do dip diddly, my friend. <laughs> God did it. You don't do dip. Mm-hmm. Here's the deal. He said, you abide in me. And by the way, self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not self-effort. So here's the thing. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branch, you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. Our a focus needs to be on proximity to Jesus, not producing fruit. If we have focus on proximity to Jesus, we're going to look over one day and go, Shazam! Look at that right there. <laughs> Look at all that fruit being born mm-hmm. off my body over here. No, that's a promise. 
and it's right there in John 15. Yeah. Carl, remarkably interesting, although I can tell you're a little nervous about being on radio. So I'm going to take a little I'm break. I'm shook and... right now. I can, see, I can sense that. I mean, come you know, on, let, I'm, I'm let a professional. One, let me tell you a funny one. You ready for this? <laughs> yeah, go before ahead. I came on, before, before I came on air with you, <laughs> yeah. I was genuinely had a, a little tummy check. I, I get nervous before I speak. I get nervous before I go on air. I get nervous while I'm on air. It is God's it. grace that gets me through, and that's the truth, my friend. Yeah, I love it. You're such a radio pro. I was just having fun with you. We're going to take a break. When we come back, more with Carl Clausen. His book is The Seven Resolutions, Where Self-Help Ends and God's Power Begins. Be right back. Okay, here's something exciting. When you sponsor a child with the Ministry One Child, you are linked with a boy or a girl who will know you by name, and treasure the thought that you care. Most of them will pray for you daily, and if you write them, they'll write you too. The child you sponsor will receive not only educational assistance, but supplemental food, clothing, healthcare services, and opportunities for personal love and encouragement, and most of all, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The cost is just $39 a month. That's just a little more than a dollar a day. You can't necessarily change the entire world, but what if you can change the world for one person? Sponsor a child now at MyFaithRadio.com. absolutely amazing job is Carl Clausen. He is uh, my guest. His book is The Seven Resolutions Where Self-Help Ends and God's Power Begins. So let's talk about what you uh, say about recovery. You say that we're kind of all in recovery, which I would agree, but what do you mean by that? Well, I love recovery ministry, but I also have a problem with it. Um, My joy with recovery ministry is that I think it's filled with some of the most down-to-earth, godly people going. But it can really be a problem in that it can create an us-and-them mentality inside the church. So we have those that are in recovery, oh, bless their heart, they're struggling with this, that, and whatever else. And then we've got the rest of us here. We've got things pretty well ironed out. Uh, the fact is we're all in recovery. And I, I, I love the spirit of recovery ministry, and if we had that in the church, we'd be doing a better job of making disciples, because recovery ministry by nature is filled with people who understand their desperate need. The problem is sometimes an addiction of gossiping in the foyer about another ladies' group, they don't see their need, but boy, they've got it. You know what I mean, Bill? Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. Let's talk about authentic faith, and what would you say is one of the indicators of authentic faith? Uh, I would say one of the best indicators of authentic faith is a fruit-bearing life. Okay, so um, discipleship? Discipleship is... Is that critical. in there, too? You know, oh, my goodness. Yeah, discipleship is what we're called to. You know, the interesting thing is the primary title that Jesus called people was not Christian, Christians use three times in the English Standard Version, and every time it indicates that somebody's about to lose their head. No joke. <laughs> You're going to mm-hmm. be killed. So the word 
believer is used about 11 times. On occasion, Jesus will identify someone as a believer. But over, well, I, I think the best number in the ESV is 279 times is the word follower or disciple. Mm-hmm. Now, that's huge, because that indicates that it's not an identity to claim. It's a life to be lived. We're going somewhere. See, we're all following someone or something. And uh, I, everything I do in the seven resolutions is aimed at one thing, helping people understand we're called to be disciples. And when we follow Jesus with a whole heart that's honest to goodness, humble and surrendered before the Lord, that's the power band of the disciple. I, I'm going to come back to the beginning. My biggest, forget other people, I'll tell you my biggest challenge that I face constantly, every day of my life, because I think we're kind of breaking this Western evangelical mold, I am constantly breaking this notion that I have to prove myself to God or that I've got to do this in my strength. That is a fallacy out of the pit of hell, and Mm -hmm. God wants to free us from it. Mm Mm-hmm. Carl Clausen is my guest. Carl, you talk about self-loathing and self-evaluating. Why, why are these so destructive? I know I'm asking a pretty obvious question, but uh, well, what do you say? You know, when I was a kid, I climbed up in Hatcher Pass outside of Anchorage. I climbed up uh, on this ridge headed for this big, old abandoned gold mine shaft. I mean, it, no one had been in there. I know that because when we got into the shaft, I found a pickaxe and a pair of gloves that had been set down probably 40 years before when they walked out of that mine. But in order to get there, I had to, I was great climbing with my buddies. And then we get to this one last little portion to get to this opening in this side of this enormous mountain outside of Anchorage. And, (laughs) and it's got this six inch wide ridge that if you fall left, you're going to (laughs) die. Yeah. (laughs) And And if you fall to the right, the, the jagged rocks, you might live, but you will have wished that you'd fallen left. No mm-hmm. so it's bad, bad. Mm-hmm. So I did what any guy that has a fear of heights does. I, I draped my body down like a wet rag on a center divider in a kitchen sink, and I hung arms and legs off each side of that, that ridge, and I just shuffled up like a centipede. Mm-hmm. And my buddies are laughing at me. But here's what we do. When we have wrong thinking, we usually fall off one side of that ridge or another. This is why thinking truth is an agreement with God that has to be made. When we fall, when we fall off on one side, it's self-elevating. We think we're all that in a bag of chips, and that's gonna, we're going to fall to our peril. But the other side is self-loathing. You know, we got people listening right now that have messages from their dad rolling around in their heads still. We got yeah. people listening right now that have messages from a reckless boss or a reckless child, right? Um, or never were affirmed at all. And you know what? The answer for all of these things is to humbly cling to the ridge of God's truth and let Him define who we are. That's uh, the key. Awesome. Question from a listener, Carl. Uh, please give an example. Say, make disciples. This calls for us to do something. How do we do something so that it's not in our own strength? If we focus on our position in Christ but aren't active, how do disciples get made? Yeah, that's that's good. Again, I'm going to come back to this. Dallas Willard coined this phrase, and I love it. Grace is not opposed to effort. 
It's opposed to earning. So much of the discipleship effort that we do, I would say two things. Healthy biblical effort is born out of humility. It's born out of a dependence on God. And if there's any notion that I'm somehow earning credit with God, the price was paid. We don't need to crucify Christ anew. The price was paid. So any notion that somehow I'm getting a little bit better or I'm doing pretty good because, you know, I'm doing this and that for Jesus, don't let spiritual pride or spiritual performance drive you into anything. Spiritual performance is what Paul wrote to the Galatian church who has bewitched you. Why are mm-hmm. you why are you doing in your own strength what was begun in the spirit? And and by the way, that's the definitive Galatians is the definitive book on anyone struggling with self. That's the book to hang out in. Okay, Carl, one last question in only about 30 seconds. Okay. What, what do you do to increase your proximity to Jesus? God will allow me to be broken, and he'll allow me then to linger in his word. I find his word to be life. I mean, Amen. I am... I am Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I get fueled from the Word of God. Now, I get attacked like crazy. I feel like coming back from Israel, and because we're on radio and I'm doing this thing, the seven resolutions, and I feel like I've been under assault. But what the Lord is doing is allowing me to find moments where I'm hearing His voice. Even today, I sat in my office. And I just sat there and I'm like, Lord, I am so, I feel overwhelmed. What do you want me to do? And I listened to the voice of God and he even prompted me to make a phone call to someone to take some pressure off of me. That's how practical our God is. Yeah. Amen. It's been wonderful, Carl. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Yeah. I've I've loved it. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah. Carl Clausen has been my guest. His book is The Seven Resolutions where self-help ends and God's power begins. We'll take a break and be right back with Dr. Andy Scudinga. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.